0: Thank you.
1: it's 970 WAMD Aberdeen, and this is The <clears throat> Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Leslie Greenlee-Smith from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Today we'll be speaking with Sharon Libford, Executive Director of Healthy Harford, and Michael Clancy, Director of the Harford County Crisis Response Center. Good morning, Bob Mumby.
2: Good morning, all, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about things that annoy us, and things we, and we do them as well, so we're not saying we're perfect. But the first thing is, don't people realize when it's foggy like this, you have to put your lights on? I mean, it's almost like night. It's almost worse than night. It
1: is worse than night. I agree.
2: It's like pea soup, and that's another thing that annoys me. All soup is cloudy. Like, why pea soup? I think chicken soup or lentil soup would be even harder lentil to see soup. through. I agree. Vichy uh, Vichyssois, which is the same temperature as the fog, when you think about it. Is that the cold one?
1: Uh, we go off on tangents.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they if uh, polled people. Uh, these are, we won't do all 15, but it's things that good people do that are very annoying. And I realize I do a lot of them, even though I hate them all. Interrupting. I hate interruptors, but I interrupt. Do you interrupt? No. Huh? No. You don't? No,
1: I do not. You totally
2: don't. Tell Really?
1: Really. Okay. She's a good listener. Really? And I think it's part of being a good listener, not interrupting, because you're listening. My husband's an interrupter. Wait, Sorry, what do you buddy. mean by that? <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm not paranoid. Why? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> Who said that about me? <laughs>
1: and, Michael, I noticed
3: you're quiet over there.
2: And being judgmental.
3: <laughs> it's early.
2: Are, you, it's are, early. are you Are you, do you, you, in, are you judgmental, Mike? Well, I think people who are judgmental, they're the worst. And I hate generalizers because all of them suck. Did I say that?
1: I think you just did. I think you just did.
2: Okay. What about people that find their phone way more interesting than the real life occurring around them?
1: Mm-hmm. Plenty of those folks.
2: Um, how about pen tapping, clicking, and other nervous habits?
0: That's a good thing. Uh-huh. It keeps yeah. you uh-huh. on task. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but how about uh invading people's personal space? Do any of you do that? No.
1: I do not. But I'm very conscious of what people do. Or yeah. even like here yeah. in the studio yeah. you have how space. How about trying
2: uh-huh. to flaunt your knowledge to anyone and everyone? <laughs> no. So Sharon, you're you're perfect. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> what do you do that, what do you do that's annoying?
0: I'm bossy. Okay.
2: (laughs) Good enough. I thought you were going to say, I'm too modest. (laughs) I'm humble. Just ask my kids. They've got a long list. (laughs) I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. (laughs) Okay, let's do some trivia. All right. Mm -hmm. we got some good ones today.
1: Everybody sharp? Had their coffee? All right. Yes. How many children has Queen Elizabeth II? How many children does Queen Elizabeth the have? Three. Incorrect.
2: Two? Four.
1: Four. Wowza. Four.
2: Name them. Mm. Well I can't
1: Anne. Anne. Charles. Andrew. And isn't there another girl? Caroline? Maybe. No, that's Monica. <laughs>
2: oh yeah, the party girl.
1: hmm mm-hmm. She's not
2: mentioned mentioned much.
1: We're watching The Crown on Netflix. I don't know if you guys are watching that. So she only has three children up until where it is now. So when the next season comes out, how sad is that I'm getting my history from that? Because <laughs> I can't remember high school.
2: And she has, she has been queen for six, 60, 66 yeah. years. Longer than um, Queen Victoria.
1: And her son is 70, and he's like, I'm never
0: going to <laughs> yeah, you know. maybe
1: he's okay with. It. I, I don't know. know. Maybe. I mean, he's he gets to... all the benefits of it, but without having to do the work. So, All right, folks. Which planet is nearest to the sun? You hey, know this. I can tell. Thermometer.
2: Thermometer is the hint.
1: Uh, thermometer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What is the substance in a the thermometer? Eddie.
0: Mercury. Mercury. Ah. There you go. Thank you for the hint. <laughs>
2: I know all those things, but I forget people's names <laughs> who I met yesterday.
1: Mm-hmm. What's the name of the famous big clock in London? Big Ben. Big ben. Good job. Where was Christopher Columbus born?
2: I know it's this. Spain.
1: Of course you do. It's a kind
0: Spain. of salami. It's in Italy. <laughs> oh, Genova. Geneva. Genoma. Something. <laughs> Genoa. A, yes,
1: yes, yes. Take out a Very couple good. letters and you're there. Oh, yeah. That is good. Okay, for you history buffs, Bob Mumby. When did the American Civil War end? What year?
2: Eighteen sixty
3: five. God, that's crude. That's you great that say it. Oh, well, because she addressed it to you. Oh no, no I the no, history no. buff part. I didn't want to interrupt. She says, so <laughs> yes.
0: "I will not make that
2: mistake. You're in the game. That's and, and good." I insist on being right all the time. Is number four. <laughs> <Rulette's> number four. <laughs> Are
3: you a history pur- buff? I do not want to be the purveyor of knowledge either. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you don't want to no, be I'm boastful not. and brag. I'm You're not. not a history buff. Okay. What did the seven dwarves do for a living? What was their job?
2: They extracted ore from the ground.
1: From the earth.
2: What were their names? They were miners, right? <laughs>
1: yes, they were.
2: And they whistled while they did it. They did. But they were cleaning the house when they were whistling. Yeah. They you weren't know. mining. No.
1: Okay. How about those three people that got trapped in the mine in West Virginia? Yes. Stealing have you, copper.
2: Have you seen the interviews? <gasps> Is that interviews? what they were doing? No.
1: Yeah, they were. Because oh, it's a very wow. poor area, and they that's, I guess, a very common thing for them to go into these abandoned mines and take the copper. Wow.
2: I, am, um, huh. I do a lot of commercial real estate. Work and I am selling a friend's building down um, on Golden Yellow Brick Road, down by um, Franklin Square. Okay. And he's moved his business out. It's like a twenty-five thousand foot building. The other night, people just destroyed his two air conditioning units to take the coil copper. copper. Uh, I mean, probably eighty dollars worth of copper. And just completely destroyed wow. these units.
1: It's the holidays. People need money, I guess. Yeah. But I wouldn't risk my life in a completely black... And no. they had on, like, T-shirts and jeans. Like, I would have Unprepared. a back... The Girl Scout in yeah. me would have a backpack and 20 days' worth of food and batteries. They While
2: you're a... going to steal <laughs> copper. <laughs> <laughs> and all your pencils yeah. show up in, right? <laughs> I, would...
1: I would be a... Prepared thief. Okay. <laughs> who painted the Sistine Chapel? Michelangelo. That's correct. Good job.
2: And who played him in the movie? Now oh, I forget. Oh, Charlton Heston, right?
1: Ah, oh, I believe he did. Okay. In a movie. Hmm. No one's challenging you on that. Right. No. What is the capital of Kenya? Nairobi. Correct.
2: Very good. Good job. We have a good team today. We
1: really (laughs) do. You guys are doing awesome. Name a famous detective who smoked a pipe and played the violin. Um Say it. Sherlock. There you go. Very good. There you go.
2: And on that note, seven percent solution, do you know that his Uh, one of his books? Seven percent solution, it was opium.
0: Really? Mm. And really? that was the concentration huh. of it. Huh. Really? Yeah, Interesting.
2: They wow. say um Arthur Conan Doyle had Pardon? that habit. Oh. Disease. Interesting. Whatever the case may be.
1: Who said E equals M C squared? Einstein. There you go. But um
2: And he was dyslexic? Yes. And he didn't he fail out of school?
1: He did very poorly in school. Yes he did. I don't know if he failed, but I know he really struggled. It's the core curriculum struggle. We're gonna have you back on with that sass. I like
2: it. What did Mike? What did you say? I didn't Uh hear what you said. Oh yes, (laughs) but it was very sexy at the academic
3: conferences.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let's not build another tech high school. Let's have open classrooms or universal language. (laughs) <laughs> we talked about the metrics because I, in a couple of weeks. I <laughs> can write my doctoral thesis on that, but giving these kids who can plumb and be electricians and nurses, giving them the that soft skills need. and the vocational yep. skills, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. That's yeah. all right. <laughs> I knew it would come up. Today is Taylor Swift's birthday. How old is she?
1: Happy birthday, Taylor Swift. I would guess she is 27, 28.
2: 29.
1: 29. Mm, yeah,
2: Dick she... Van Dyke <gasps> is still alive. Really? I guess it's not good if... For, when you phrase it, yes. There's a whole website that says, are they, did they die? <laughs> the website is did they didtheydie.com. Oh, wow. And it has everybody who, you, are they dead, are they not dead? And then how long ago they died?
1: How old is he? 93.
2: <gasps> wow. And Kirk Douglas I saw his is came. 101 or 102.
1: 102, yeah. Wow. Those, those are good jeans. Those are good jeans. <laughs> yes.
2: He was Van Gogh.
1: Yes, he was. Okay. Huh, really. Back in the day.
2: Yes. Um, okay, that's. Uh, Nostradamus' birthday is today. Hmm. How he old would have he have been, been? He would have been 515 wow. years old. Michelle de Nostradam. Well,
1: happy birthday. Alrighty. So, are we going to take a little break?
2: Sure. Oh, no, you know what I wanted to do to uh, this day in history? Do you remember this? (laughs) 41 years ago, Air Indiana Flight 216, a DC-3 carrying the University of Evansville basketball team on a flight to Nashville crashed shortly after takeoff, killing all 29 people on board. 41 years ago. Do you remember that?
1: No. I don't either, and I really should have. I mean, I was not a baby but I
2: wasn't an adult. Ah, you were
1: were a baby. In kindergarten. <sighs> <sighs> Aw, thanks Bob. With Sharon. <laughs> That's my Christmas gift from Bob.
2: <laughs> and 40 I, I years ago, been. the Philadelphia Mint began stamping the Susan B. Anthony dollar. In 1981, authorities in Poland imposed martial law and a crackdown on the Solidarity labor oh, movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which was really say they say the beginning of the breakdown of the eastern block and in speaking of insidious no nah, i can't say this don't i was going to talk about cardinal bernard law but i better mm. not No. especially with the term since i already said insidious
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think everyone will get your draft <laughs> thanks for stopping <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take Catholic. a break. He is a Catholic. <laughs> and when we come
1: back, we'll be talking with Sharon Lipford, Executive Director of Healthy Hartford, and Michael Clancy, Director of the Hartford County Crisis Response Center.
3: New York Times bestselling author Laura Lippman will visit the Abington Library on December 18th at 6.30 p.m. for a free evening of fun for the entire family. She will read her new children's book, Liza Jane and the Dragon. Following the reading, children will enjoy a special craft while adults participate in a book discussion and Q&A with Lippman. Just in time for the holidays, her children's book will be available for sale as well as some of her other amazing adult books. Have your photo taken with the author, Amy. get your book signed by her as well. Registration for this event is encouraged at hcplonline.org. We hope to see you there.
1: Have a small project at home that you've been putting off? Need some help but don't need a large contractor? For more than seven years, Dr. Curry Contracting, Inc. in Aberdeen has been offering residential and light commercial renovations, remodeling, and maintenance to clients in the Hartford County area. Their professional and efficient staff work on installations of windows, doors, siding, kitchen and bath remodels, and more. Customer service and satisfaction is of paramount importance in DR Curry Contracting Inc.'s continued success, no matter the budget. It's time to get that project done. Call 410 272 8779. That's 410 272 8779. Let DR Curry Inc. make your dream renovation
3: become a reality.
1: Welcome back. I'm co host Leslie Greenlee Smith from the Hartford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby, and this is the Hartford Edge. We're delighted today to have Sharon Lipford, Executive Director of Healthy Hartford, and Michael Clancy, Director of the Hartford County Crisis Response Center, in the studio with us today. Sharon Lipford is the Executive Director of Healthy Hartford. She holds a master's degree from the University of Maryland at Baltimore and is a licensed clinical social worker with over 28 years of experience. Sharon chairs the Hartford County Health Department, Local Health Improvement Coalition for Behavioral Health. She has the privilege of serving on the Harford County Public Library Foundation Board, (laughs) the United Way of Central Maryland Partnership Board for Harford County, and the Harford County Sheriff's Office Crisis Negotiation Team. Michael Clancy is the Director of Harford County Crisis Response Services. Mr. Clancy holds a Master's Degree from Northern Arizona University, Marshall University, and Liberty University. Wow. He's also a licensed clinical professional counselor and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. Mike has been in clinical practice for over 30 years with experience in outpatient community behavioral health, inpatient adolescent treatment, and adolescent resident treatment. He's retired from the Maryland National Guard and served 20 years in the military, both on active duty Air Force and for the Maryland Army National Guard. Welcome, Woo-hoo. Sharon. Welcome, Michael. And thank you guys for coming in today. Thanks. Wow. Thanks. Thank you. Wow. That was a mouthful for both of
2: lot. you. <laughs> I'm tired just listening to it. <laughs> I
0: know. I need to step up my
2: own game. <laughs> Very re- great. And thanks for coming on. And mm-hmm. thanks for what you folks, um, for both of your, uh, what you dedicate your careers to, because it so, uh, makes such a difference for all of us. Um, First of all, Northern Arizona. I don't want don't know why I know this Flagstaff.
3: Flagstaff, Arizona.
2: Okay, which which can get chilly at night, right? It does. People don't realize in Arizona. So, Sharon, first, how did how did you get here? How do uh, I know you worked with the county? Are you uh, a Harford County person?
0: I'm not. I'm born and raised in Carroll County. Okay. Still a rural girl. Yep. Okay. I've lived in Harford for about 22 years.
2: Okay. Carroll County, when it had about a quarter of the population. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, just like here.
0: Exactly.
2: And then, um, uh, when you, what brought you to the county?
0: It's beautiful here. It reminded me of home of Carroll County. Um, at that time, I was relatively newly marri- married, and we wanted to start a family, and this was the perfect place to do that.
2: Okay. Yeah. And then you be, uh, you were with the county. And then you've you took uh, this position, and uh, tell us, can you sort out for us, um, Healthy Harford, how it fits in with uh, Upper Chesapeake University of Maryland yeah. system and um, Healthy Harford, he- Her- Healthy Cecil, yes. Harford County Government, Health Department, <laughs> Office on Mental <laughs> Health, uh, Core Service Agency of Har- Harford County. And the affiliated Sante group, which we can talk about in with Michael, how yes. do they all fit together?
0: they all fit together that 's exactly that's um, you just what you just described is healthy Hartford. We are a nonprofit organization, and the founding uh, partners include Upper Chesapeake Health, Harford County Health Department, and harford county government um, twenty eight years ago, very smart people, visionaries had the idea that they needed an organization that's a nonprofit to be a convener a neutral entity in the community to pull people together to focus on health and wellness and prevention um, initiatives in the county Um, and that's what we've done over 28 years wow Mm -hmm. that was a visionary yep
2: yeah and it's really it's a great model because so much of what we need to solve in the county and in our general communities requires so much input from so many different stakeholders, and a lot of times, if they're not talking to each other, we right. don't have a shot. Right. Um, so, uh, um, thank you for that. And thank who, you. Barry Klein is Barry on your Klein. team. she and is.
0: She's amazing. She is a very smart, insightful, kind person, and she's also visionary.
2: But she's also telling me all the things that I like to eat that I shouldn't be eating. <laughs>
0: Yes, she does. She does. does do that very well. She
1: does.
2: And she yes. and she tells me I can't drink <laughs> juice. I have to drink water. Yeah. But, I, you know, anyway, but what I know that's for, today, for our own good.
0: Right. What we do today really does impact who we are in five years, ten years, twenty that's years. true. And if you want to live a long life like, who is it that's 101? Uh, Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. There you go.
2: Yeah, but George Burns, when he was 99, said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's exactly uh-huh. what you're saying. Yeah. He also, no, I don't know if I could, uh-huh. I could say it. If he said it.
0: Yeah.
2: He said, I tried to have relations with my wife. When trying to do that when you're 99 is like trying to shoot pool with a rope. <laughs> <laughs> Said it. And <laughs> he it, was said TV, it. it was
1: on TV. It was on TV. And the censors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mary. <Nice> <laughs> <prize>.
2: <laughs> so that brings us, uh, we have a lot to talk about mm-hmm. on the, uh, the yeah. Healthy Harford in general, but brings us to uh, the Harford Crisis Center. Um, and tell us about that, the genesis of it. And then, Michael, uh, uh, you can tell us about. Um, Um, your role in this, and congratulations uh, for your new role. Mm -hmm. So what is the genesis in Hartford for the Crisis Center?
0: So the genesis, um, I have the privilege of uh, helping to chair the Local Health Improvement Coalition, which is part of and under the auspices of Hartford County Health Department. Um, Behavioral health issues in the county was identified as a priority more than eight years ago, more than 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. but it really came to um, the radar eight years ago. So um, July 20th in 2017, we had the opportunity to host what we called a listening session where we convened 65 stakeholders from the community to come together to talk about behavioral health, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and really drill down to identify what are the gaps and the strengths in the behavioral health system. And what folks said, and let me just, I guess, stop and say that the stakeholders included people and family members who had lost loved ones because of addiction and mental health. Um, it included people in recovery, um, Mary Hassler from the mm-hmm. library, uh, the sheriff's office, the criminal justice system, um, providers, the health system. Lots of people came together to share their their thoughts and insights. So what. Um, came of that day is folks loud and clear said that we needed to improve um, immediate access for people in crisis. We needed to do a better job with care coordination and we needed to do more in the world of education. Um, and this is where I just want to put a plug out and commend Joe Ryan and Office of Drug Control Policy. They've done a great job with education, and what (laughs) folks said is we need to do more. We need to get into the businesses in the faith-based community. So it's just we need more. What resonated from the listening session is we need a crisis system. We need one place where folks can go that it's no wrong door, that you don't have to think about Do I fit this criteria? Do I have this particular issue? Who do I call? So that was the genesis. So for the last year and a half, we've been working with um, our five stakeholders, which include Hartford County government, the health department, Office on Mental Health, core service agency, the hospital, and Healthy Hartford. Uh, So we have convened lots of folks in the community to build the idea and to, to develop the crisis center.
2: And the crisis center is what?
0: The crisis center is one central location where folks can come or will be able to come to receive services and support treatment for mental health and addiction. The starting point is to have a 24-hour crisis hotline, operations center, and mobile crisis teams. And that is where affiliated Sante Group was selected as the provider to operate those services.
2: So, uh, Michael, uh, you are uh, the director of the Hotline and Mobile G- Crisis Program.
3: Correct, right, for Sante.
2: Okay. Um, and I, I guess with Sante, uh, well, we know a lot about Sante, and uh, you've got a great reputation, and it's, it's really a choice to outsource um, to Folks that really have the resources, subject matter expertise, yep. uh, the infrastructure, um, the procedural um, knowledge and experience, which yes. to try to build that de novo would be insane mm-hmm. for us. Um, so I think that's uh, it's a great move. But tell us about yourself, Michael, uh, and t- tell us about um, uh, setting up this, um, this uh, uh, hotline and mobile crisis program.
3: So the team is relatively new, certainly, because they started uh, October 1st, and and I think now they're getting their feet wet. So I I would say it's going to take a few months to work out all the kinks, figure out what works, what doesn't work, um, how to best to dispatch to the areas, you know, improve the working relationships with the police departments and the sheriff's office. Um, So it's really establishing all new relationships. So really every phone call that comes in is something new. So it's not kind of a predictive uh, working environment where you know what's going to happen. You everything is different every time the phone rings. Um, so it's really just building that knowledge base as you go along. Who you can refer to in the community. You know what services are available in the community. Those those types of things. Um, so so I think it's off to a good start. Um, a little slow. You know from what I thought we were going to be doing, but still. Still busy enough at this mm-hmm. point, which mm-hmm. gives us a chance to kind of breathe <clears throat> as we figure out things. You know, um, in terms of like, how often are we going to need an interpreter, or mm-hmm. oh, wow. how often are we going to drive somewhere and get lost, which has <laughs> happened a few thing, you know, a mm-hmm. few times. Um, but I would say the majority of the, of the referrals have been and calls have been local in the local area. Um, we've not had too many far distance calls yet throughout the county, but we'll go anywhere in the county at this point. And, and,
2: I, and I imagine yeah. it's a challenge uh, before the crisis center existed. And by the way, folks, um, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Um, that should be on everyone's refrigerator, and everyone's, so everyone fun. should know that uh, number. But I am, imagine it's a challenge when you have first responders that are used to doing things one way because they've had to because they've been the only resort for someone, and now um, they have to work with you, and I imagine that is a challenge to to get everyone on the same page. Um, uh, and certainly, um, you know, I've been in, in the emergency room at um, Upper Chesapeake, and it's uh, two times... Um, and it really just seems to be overwhelming what how how taxed that operation is by people um, uh, with um, addiction and mental health issues where that's had been the only resort for them and that makes it incredibly hard to manage it as a emergency care and trauma center so um what uh tell us about the f- the first few calls and what 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 it's doing already? Um, Um,
3: Well, we've had a lot of calls to the school system, which we we had expected that. Um, Mainly those are during the day, and it could be a student who may be having some kind of emotional crisis. One of of the things that we do with Sante is we don't actually define a crisis. Um, So there are no parameters like, hey, you have to meet this category, A, B, and C for us to come out. Um, The person who calls defines the crisis. So if they think they're in crisis, we're going to come out. And, and essentially our hotline, you know, as we started our operation, you know, the staff, I think, especially clinicians, are thinking, what's the crisis? And I went, it doesn't need to be a crisis. They called, go see what's going on. It's, mm-hmm. You can't talk to someone on the phone for 20 minutes to figure out what's going on. It's better to go see them face-to-face. Um, so, so that's working pretty well. It's just better to dispatch, see the person, and really see what's going on. Um, calls can be from school-based issues. It could be... Uh, situational crises at home with parents and children fighting it could be somebody who's experiencing depression <clears throat> it could be somebody who has um, psychosis maybe hearing voices needs medications um, it's the whole gamut it's it's not really centralized to one thing when we look at the current cases we've seen there's nothing there's not one category that jumps out it's it's across the board really wow. yeah.
2: Well, how, how do you triage uh, for instance a lot of calls i i know you say that if someone's experiencing an emergency call 911 but how do you triage that cuz someone could it's, could be in uh, some kind of a mental health crisis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it could also be a potential violent situation right 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 how how do you decide uh, should we be on the front line going that door should the the, the police be or do, is it Joint call, or that's got to be really difficult for the dispatchers.
3: Well, well, we'll ask. I mean, there's a screening process that the operate the phone operators go through. So they're they're asking. They're doing a risk assessment. They're doing a violence assessment. They're asking if there are weapons. Um, you know, if we think the police need to be there, and we've had a couple of cases where we've called the police and said, this sounds kind of dicey, they want us to come to a parking lot in the middle of nowhere, can okay. you meet us there? Okay. And the police met us there, mm-hmm. and and yeah, the person oh, okay. had some things that probably would not have been good. But we've been to homes where, you know, there may have been weapons, but that, that really hasn't been an issue that's come up. Um, so the the clinician just has to kind of use their common sense, you know. You get to a home, you you kind of see what it looks like. Are you somewhere by yourself? You know, are there any other houses around? You know, what does the neighborhood look like in terms of, like, other people watching you? Um, and, and really, the presentation of the, the individual who's calling. Um, but most times, I, I'd say over 95% of the time when the people are calling, they're giving us the information we need, they're, they're telling us what we need to know. And we have not had to call the police very often, but when we have had to, they've responded with us every time so it's not been an issue mm-hmm. yeah police police uh cooperation's been very good
2: which is another yeah. testimony to the, mm-hmm. the teamwork um because of the, you know a lot of our fears at the beginning of this um at the beginning but uh four years ago when a lot of the teamwork really started um and when it became front and center um it was interesting to see how the sheriff and the school system and the mm-hmm. college and the health department and the state and um, law enforcement, um, etc., were going to work together. And it's 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 been great because, you know, it's really people have put put the cause uh, above their individual agendas. And it's really it's not always the case with our government uh, in this nation. So it's great to see. Uh, and tell us about the phases of, mm-hmm. of this. Initially, it's a hotline, so if just someone needs to talk and, again, has no idea how to navigate the right. system.
3: Right. So the hotline will help them navigate resources. Um, if, it, if they're really not calling about resources but, hey, I'm in crisis right now, then the hotline will dispatch the team. Okay. Um, so the team is always there with, with the phone okay. operators all the time.
2: And I would imagine one of the most difficult things of this type of operation is the training. Uh, training is hard. Of the people that yeah. are going to be on the front line, dealing with such a wide range of issues.
3: Well, you want to you want to attract people to this kind of work who what we call the crisis junkies. Mm. You know, um, if you want to sit in an office Monday through Friday, nine to five, this is not where you're going to be. Um, and. And that's okay. I mean, there are clinicians that that do well doing office practices or hospital practices. But I think crisis work is a little different. So it attracts people who like that. Mm -hmm. They like to get out. They don't want to be sitting around. And it's the kind of work also where it's short term. So many therapists like to do short term work, solution focused, get in, fix the issues with the person, and get out. Mm -hmm. And then refer them to where they need to go for long term care. So, there are some, some advantages for clinicians mm-hmm. in case anyone's looking to do crisis <laughs> work. Uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> I find it much more rewarding. To be. I've been in prior practice, inpatient, outpatient. Uh, this, I think, is the best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and hats off because one of the things it takes more guts than anything is to, to do this with the current environment mm-hmm. with attorneys out there who have no scruples and are just looking to make money for themselves and you really put yourselves in, in, in a position of almost vulnerability and it takes a lot, I think, a lot of strength to do that.
3: Uh,
2: is there yeah. much been done to prevent I, I ambulance chasers, for lack of a better word?
3: I just haven't seen that very often in crisis work. If you do good right. care and, and just follow what's reasonable and what people need. Listen to what they're saying to you, document well, it's not really an issue.
2: Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the hotline and then um, uh, uh, the mobile crisis team, mm-hmm. and then we're talking about uh, you're working on an outpatient mental health service.
0: Phase two. Mm-hmm. Okay. So phase two is opening an outpatient mental health clinic on site that's slated to open January 2019. Wow. so folks will be able to come for scheduled appointments and that's that will be operated by University of Maryland Upper Chesapeake Health okay so it's an outpatient a traditional outpatient mental health clinic phase three is um, we are very very excited about that it will be opening in spring it is a 24-hour seven day a week walk-in urgent care crisis center and crisis residential beds so we, we will be opening eight crisis beds um, and the whole purpose again is a diversion from mm-hmm. the emergency room the emergency department mm-hmm. uh-huh. so folks don't have to think they can just come on site one place. and one place use the hotline use mobile crisis use the urgent care walk-in center and if need be be placed in a crisis residential bed
2: which which is it's really great because it's like If you have trauma, you don't want to go to an emergency room that is not used to dealing with trauma. Right, exactly. (laughs) Because they'll stare at it instead of having you opened up.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And then the last... Same thing with
2: this. So that's great.
0: Yeah. And then phase four includes um, inviting community providers also to be available and provide services on site. Uh, So that uh, involves Ashley Addiction Treatment Mm -hmm. is going to be opening an intensive outpatient program also. Um, on the property, on site. So if somebody needs intensive follow-up and services for addiction, that's available.
2: So, uh, and again, we're talking about the Hartford Crisis Center. Uh, The the one common denominator of all these phases is 24-7. Yes. Which is really so critical because none of these crises punch a clock. They're not aware. Mm -hmm. Um, And the numbers, Eight hundred. Next step. Six three nine eight seven eight three. So, where is it located?
3: Eight hundred two Baltimore Pike, in the big white building on the hill. Like, that's what we call it—the big white building on the uh, hill.
0: Yeah.
2: Where I don't even—it um, um,
0: used to be the auto auction. The administrative offices. Oh, okay. Great, and, and as great Mike building. says, right up—it's up a big hill. So
2: you're going to uh-huh. be surrounded by a lot of stores and movie theaters and restaurants. Maybe eventually. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It, but it's secluded enough, so uh-huh. because you, you go up onto the driveway that's yeah. own property, it's not like it's out in the open. So you mm-hmm. have a little privacy mm-hmm. when you go there and it's it's a nice facility. And that's
2: yeah. where the in inpa- outpatient service mm-hmm. and the inpatient uh yes, all will of it. be. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again,
0: it's not that portion is not open and won't be open until spring. Okay. The outpatient. Well, that's uh-huh. pretty quick. You yeah, guys I, haven't I, yeah, wasted was there any, any time. Like for everything, October,
1: January, spring. Uh-huh. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. So you guys must be busy.
0: We are. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, it's been a long time coming, and um, the need is just ever so present. This year we've lost 79 people who have um, overdosed um, and have, have died as a result. Um, right. There have been 454 overdoses. We average about 38 to 40 confirmed suicides every single year. And what makes it tricky is oftentimes folks will have completed suicide, but it doesn't get categorized as such. Mm-hmm. So it's grossly underreported. So for our county, we, we have this tremendous need and we cannot get the center open quick enough. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's not just addiction, and it's not just um, opioid. Correct. Addiction. We're talking about alcohol-induced, right. right. um, we're talking about uh, other behavioral health issues. Yes. Um, one thing I thought was interesting is uh, the state health improvement process, how does this fit into that? And I saw um, that on a number of parameters, we are, Hartford is healthier than the average. 20 twenty thirty nine measured objectives. Harford County is ranked as good or better than the state average in twenty two, but worse in seventeen. Yes. Um adults who smoke. Yep. Adolescents who use tobacco, life expectancy, physical activity, um was it which is Ms. Klein's one of her uh yeah. um sudden unexpected uh infant death rate, um students entering kindergarten ready to learn, um, domestic violence, child maltreatment, uh, uh, suicide rate, affordable housing, um, uh, it's drug-induced death rates, uh, emergency department visits for addiction-related concerns. How, you were saying this has been a long time coming. Um, talk about how that all fits in with, with what you're doing here
0: so the state health improvement coalition or the state health improvement process um, is uh, generated and overseen by the the um, state health um, department and they are responsible for working with local jurisdictions which for us that's harford county health department so under the leadership of dr Moy. Um, each year he hosts an annual meeting where we review as a community with lots of stakeholders what are the pressing and rising issues uh, re- regarding health in the county. So of that, the, the indicators that you just described, they rise to the top and that's where initiatives in support and in collaboration with Healthy Hartford and all of our partners, that's where we then identify initiatives to work to address those um, statistics to improve the health and wellness of the county.
2: And, and and so much of that is, as you mentioned, education and awareness mm-hmm. and um, removing the stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've seen um, so many times, and, and I'm involved in this peripherally, I'm on the board of a recovery house, mm-hmm. and uh, we see it all the time. Um, people are, it's just human nature uh, that people feel that it's some moral failing or character weakness or some family failing if someone has some behavioral or addictive um, condition. Um, People don't realize that it's a disease, that mental health is a disease. It's not somebody made the the wrong choice at a fork in the road or the parents didn't love them. Right,
0: right. And
2: I, I... and that all fits in, and especially I imagine on the in the crisis center uh, that people may be afraid to tell you it's someone's overdosing. Uh, I know that's with more emergency related, but it's all part of that they're afraid they're going to get arrested. So that's where we get law enforcement and the state's attorney and the, and the judiciary involved. But what what progress do you see there and what what can everyone do as far as helping people understand this and not to hide it, not be in denial about it and realize that treatment and help is the only way to go.
0: So, I don't even I'll start, know the question. You, no, but it's. <laughs> I think it's insightful that you, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of stigma and shame surrounding folks even admitting publicly or talking outside of their family, and sometimes even within their family, mm-hmm. to say, I have a mental illness, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, I'm not sleeping well, I'm not concentrating, I'm not eating well. All the symptoms that we might recognize as depression, it just is hidden and buried, um, and we need to do just like today to talk about it. Um, That is what is most important, is to keep raising the envelope and recognize that it is an illness and treatment works.
3: Yeah, and I I think part of it is trust. You know, you have to build trust in your providers, and uh, a lot of our long-term individuals have not had great relationships or great experiences in the mental health or addictions um, system, and so, you know, who do I tell? And once I tell them, are they going to kick me out of the program? Or are they going to think, oh, I'm this, and I shouldn't be here, I need to be at this program? So, you know, I, I think consumer choice is a big piece that drives care. So we, we do tend to put a lot of uh, parameters on, on how you get into care and how long you can stay into care. And obviously a lot of that's sometimes insurance-driven or, or finance-driven. But if you build trust with your provider, even if you fail in treatment or, don't succeed or relapse or, you know, have to go back into um, whatever it was you were doing, recovery, you just want to offer that person the opportunity to come back. Mm -hmm. So once once you get to know the person, just let them keep coming back until you... Mm -hmm. Something will happen where it might be the first time, it might be the sixth time. Right. But if you're still open to them and they can get back, maybe the sixth time is the time that counts. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the time they get in treatment and really work it Mm -hmm. and really go into recovery. So that's not...
0: Can I just add also that we, every single person has an opportunity to open a door and offer a handout to somebody. And what I mean by that is we're so busy and we're so tied to our phones that sometimes it is, literally just stopping and being present with a person and being mindful and truly listening to what a person says. Because if a person is brewing and having a hard time and maybe Mm -hmm. headed down to be in crisis, they're dropping clues. And it's really, every one of us has an opportunity to say, if somebody says, yeah, you know, it's okay. Wait, what do you mean by that? To ask that that follow-up question and really begin to Listen. Be better listeners. That's where we have an opportunity to create change and help people, and change and break through the stigma and the walls.
2: And I th- you mentioned it already. The navigation uh, um, is we are expecting people to understand uh, maybe 20 different entities, mm-hmm. and we're. Uh, I know uh, the the Bar Foundation uh, does so much because you know. We, we we're offering legal advice to folks out of Windsor Valley and some of the other, but we we're asking them to make it to downtown Bel Air on a Tuesday morning at eleven a.m.
0: Right, by they bus. They have to
2: take two, two or three buses, mm-hmm. so, and then they may or may not have the answer, and then oh, then now you have to go to this agency. Where's that? Oh, that's in Havertown Grace. So the navigation, because people just none, none of us are have this natural aptitude for fighting our way through all these resources I think that's I can't imagine what a difference that makes this navigation for folks yeah.
3: it is complex I mean it, even even we have challenges with that trying to figure out what providers are taking what insurances and. you know you can especially if you use the internet and you're looking at sources it might say one thing on their website but you we'll know they may there. have filled out filled up that day on Medicare They're not taking Medicare folks and uh, or someone has Tricare and they're a military background person, just trying to navigate that system can mm-hmm. be difficult. And like, who's who's taking care for these folks? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's a lot of. You just really have to walk them through the system, unfortunately. But it's it's what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And you you're saving them literally hours upon hours, and and eventually everyone has a point at which they get fed up. And mm-hmm. I, how many people must end up in that situation where they even had the initiative to seek help, but they just weren't able to find it and through no fault of their own.
3: Right, And that's how the mobile team can really help because you can go out and see someone and that sort of takes the edge off, but then they can do follow-ups with that person. So we have some cases where they're not connected to care yet, they're having difficulty, but at least someone can keep coming to see them and say, all right, let's try this option or let's try that option. So there's a period of time, I mean, Hopefully you get the person connected relatively quickly, but there there are times in other counties that we have where we've not gotten someone connected for 60, 90 days, and we continue to see those individuals until they are connected. And it it could be a funding mechanism depending on where they're at. It could be a whole host of things, Mm -hmm. but uh, at least we maintain that connection. Um, On the other side, we have a lot of people that disconnect with us fairly quickly as well. (laughs) the crisis is done, don't come back out. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. And there's so, there's
2: so many other barriers to people getting, seeking help. I mean, just if often uh, these cases when they're intertwined with a, an intimate partner abuse mm-hmm. situation, uh, where the abuser does not want that person to have a lifeline. Right. Right. Um, I th- I always find it jarring when you look on the SARC website and there's yeah. a little button on each page, leave yeah. site quickly.
0: Yeah.
2: And that. Explains mm-hmm. so much about yeah, the uh, lives these people are are living. But again, the same thing. These, uh, like Jackson Katz, our friend, mm-hmm. says it. It's not a, like domestic abuse, uh, spousal abuse is not a women's issue. No, it's, it's a men's issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we, but we we, we define it, it as a women's yep. issue.
1: Yep, absolutely.
2: Um, so so these people, there's nothing wrong with these people who were being abused. They may have behavioral or mental health mm-hmm. issues that, that prevents them from seeking help, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not, it's not their a fault. failure on their no. part. No, um, it's not. Like one of our, and I want to ask you about this, What on the education side, um, one of the women mm-hmm. in our program, she started cutting herself when she was mm-hmm. 14. Great family, great, but they didn't know how to process that, mm-hmm. and again, they internalized it and said, "What did we do wrong and then the the, the, the end result yeah. is often denial, and then it progressed, you know they had no idea it was her somehow trying to deal with some other pain mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anger so and Leslie, uh, Leslie, you remember when we had the woman who wrote the seventh wish yes um, wrote a beautiful book, book about um. Best uh, Kate Messner about a 12-year-old girl whose older sister went away to college and became addicted, and how, what the family went through, like, well, she, we all signed the D.A.R.E. card. How, how, yeah. We're not one of those weird families. Right. and mm-hmm. But Kate and who this library sponsored this. We did, yeah, we uh, did, with
1: the county, with Joe, and uh, mm-hmm. just a lot of people in the <clears> county. We had an author, she came to visit, and we she, had... Um, Book clubs in all of our branches where kids came and read the book they got a free copy of the book
2: and, and she spoke at every middle school <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she told she told me that because uh, she's we done this tour up and show, up and down yeah. the east Coast that about a, a third of the libraries, towns, municipalities school. that she's come to speak at about a third said you can talk about your other books. But for kids this young, you can't talk about this book, mm-hmm. so that's it in a nutshell yeah. uh yeah. i I mean we had we had school administrators as recently as five years ago that were not reporting um because they didn't want it to look bad on their right. mm-hmm. on their quarterlies or whatever yeah. it is yeah, I'm not saying here, <laughs> but how how what Just role do you play mentality. in that?
1: Crazy. You know, it just life. doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah. That mentality to yeah. not report, not help. Right. Um, you know, in talking with Kate, she chose not to go to those schools. Right. Because she's like, my message is so important, and there are kids who are 10, 11, 12 dealing with this. Right. And if you don't think they are, right, you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I agree.
2: So how do folks uh, find out more about um, the crisis center, the crisis center,
0: so, there's a website, um, the thehealthyharford.org, has okay. uh, the flyer with a telephone number and a, a description about the services and what is uh, being developed and, and yet to come. So, that's a good starting point. And also, um, we have the, Sante the Sante website. website. The Sante mm-hmm.
3: yep. And okay. that actually has the list of all of our crisis teams. Okay. We have teams in PG County, Baltimore County, Harford County, Carroll County, Cecil, and all of the Eastern mm-hmm. Shore.
1: Yeah. So, do you have to be from Hartford County to use the services? No, there?
0: and okay. that is very, very important, and yes. why we approach this as with a regional mentality. That it doesn't matter if you live here, you're homeless, passing through, it doesn't matter. That's It's wonderful. a resource. Mm-hmm. So and it, it doesn't matter if you have insurance, don't have it. Like it doesn't matter. Just come or call.
2: So. This number, the 800 number, 1-800-NEXT-STEP, if someone has a family member they're concerned about, could they call that number to say, how do I get them to yes, call you? Sure. It's sure. So it's not it's like only call if it's an emergency, if they're just bewildered and they want to help, but they're, they are they don't know where to start.
3: We do get a lot of anonymous calls. So they'll say, hey, I think this person needs help, and we'll say, can you give us their information? And... Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, so it may be that they just want information for us. Um, sometimes they'll give us the location of the person, and then we'll go, you know, we'll try to contact that person and see them. Um, but, yeah, family members can call for other family members or friends. You don't have to be the person in need yourself. So,
2: what do, what do you do? How do you train your folks if they get a call where clearly it is an emergency in process, but you may not, the person may not be saying come out? Or they may hang up. Um, just uh, what well, do you do there? That's got to be a well. Tough when one. in
3: doubt, you know, if if you're, and we've had some of those as well, well. We'll call the police for a well check because they're going to get there faster than we can. Okay. So and and if it's dangerous, we really need the police to be there first because they okay. have to clear the scene. Mm-hmm. So
2: we're and not, are we're are not we, we all. Rush t- in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you think we're all past that impediment that we've had as pe- as far as people calling um, on an OD? Um, this would be 911. Because a lot of times we've, 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 we've fought this uh, in the state legislature and mm-hmm. um, having the, the health providers report when there's an OD without having it a dampering effect on someone calling in because they're afraid they're going right. to get good in trouble. The Samaritan mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we past that now? I mean, Are we in a situation where th- there should be no hesitation for anyone if they're worried about person who's dying having a legal problem which is not the most rational thing but it's not a rational thing we passed that now can uh, can people
3: i don't know if we're past that i i think i think think maybe the public is better educated about it but uh you know people still in the back of their mind think oh i'm gonna if i walk into this place are they gonna arrest me yeah Mm -hmm. Um, so you think i I hear that a lot still
2: so still on yeah
3: and i I should put a plug in for it even though it's in Arundel County, they did a—they're doing a great thing with safe, safe stations. Mm-hmm. I saw their presentation, and you can walk into any fire department, mm-hmm. and they're going to get you connected to care. It's a great concept.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, Steve uh, just got appointed. Um, Steve Shu, because uh, yes. he's done a lot yes. of great work. Uh-huh. Yeah. He just got appointed to—I um, guess uh, to run the Mema
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, opioid
0: mm-hmm. yes.
2: response, which yep. one of our. Mm-hmm. Ladies, Myra yes, derby der, yep. just got promoted. She's at MEMA on the yeah. crisis uh, response uh-huh. team. Yeah. So we have Megan working for, for you guys coming out of Shar-Hope. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, great.
0: Great stories. And that's what's going to make change, is including people that have walked that journey and that path that are in recovery to come and keep moving us forward right. and keep lifting the... the um, envelope pushing the envelope and mm-hmm. um, spreading the word and t- to create change and mm-hmm. change mentality mm-hmm.
3: you know I think the other nice idea of a partnership that happens is that there are a lot of training opportunities that will come up and I've seen this in other places um, I'd recently done a, a training for over 40 clinicians and I'd asked them how many were actually trained in dialectical behavioral therapy kind of more of a um, and a more of an advanced practice, but no one in the room had been. And they had been practiced for quite some time. So, but through a lot of these trainings, through partnerships, agencies are able to offer training to other agencies. Because training is expensive. So if you want good sure. clinicians, you got to be able to train them. And mm-hmm. <laughs> good clinicians can't often afford to go to training. Right. So, right. so I think that's going to be a nice byproduct. And you, then you tap into different expertises of the different agencies and you know, oh, this person really knows this, or this agency can really do this, and, and you really multiply the strength by doing mm-hmm. that. It's a really good thing. Yeah. So.
1: And Hartford County is great with mm-hmm. partnerships. Mm-hmm. I mean, every organization yeah. works so well with other organizations, so yeah. that will come much more.
2: And to talk to us um, first about, about screening, what role, I know it's tough for you to play that role as well, but there are some resources that you have access to. You can refer to people to talk about that. As a screening for depression in in, in younger folks or um,
3: so. Well, the, on the phone screening or the actuals when you actually either, go out. So if it if it's the phone screening, they're you know fairly standardized um, questions. Um, you know the standardized battery of depression questions, suicidality assessment lethality and violence assessments, but when the clinician goes out, then they're actually going to do a full assessment of the person. They're going to do a mental status exam. They're going to do a history, if you can get that. Sometimes you can't necessarily get that. If the situation is really past the point where an intervention can be done at that, that time and the person really is a danger to themselves or other, you know, they might have to do an emergency petition to have the person taken for evaluation at a hospital. We've not had to do any of those, I think, so far in the first two months. Um, but obviously, that's that's something that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Normally, if the police are probably doing it, um, police are probably going to do that EP faster than we are, because it's a matter of getting the person somewhere and the training level. But um, we've seen in many of our counties, um, if a clinician does the screening, they're much less going to do the EP unless it really needs to be done at that point. And again, The emergency petition is not necessarily a gateway into the treatment. Mm -hmm. It's for an evaluation only, you know, to see if the person needs to be um, involuntarily committed. But a lot of our people are afraid of that, you know. That's why they're not going to call for crisis, like, we'll hear that often. Are you going to commit me? Are you going to EP Mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. Are you going to have the police show up? Mm -hmm. I don't want the police coming, you know. So we have to kind of take all of those factors into play. But the clinician who sees the person really has to do the in-depth assessment at that point and it's just like any standard assessment other than you're just not in an office mm-hmm. sometimes you're in a parking lot sometimes you're on the side of a road mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, sometimes you're in the back of the car mm-hmm. um, wherever it has to happen
2: mm-hmm. uh buprenorphine and vivitrol that's something that no one has an opinion on <laughs> in this community yeah um are you agnostic about about that uh
0: no uh, no okay treatment works, treatment works and yeah. there's no one size fits all so you need to use all of your options just like Fantastic. a physician would choose different types of antibiotics right it's the same approach
3: yeah it's um their tools medicated assisted yeah. therapy great that's Definitely good works. yeah
2: because yeah. pe- yeah. people get fairly proselytizing about yeah. that oh well, yeah there's
3: there's the <laughs> abstinence model you know and then and, and In some ways you have to you you really do have to respect that kind of recovery care model um, because it works for some people Mm -hmm. but um, again the other model works as well Mm -hmm. so uh,
2: great just great work you folks are doing and and you didn't waste a lot of time (gasps) Um, and I know there's a lot of barriers to break down there's a lot of compromise and collaboration Um, but uh, I think, you know, uh, uh, Ken Olman who used to be the um, county executive in, in Howard, now he's running this College Park program, which is a public-private partnership, mm-hmm. um, and he always says, communicate, communicate, and then when you think you've communicated enough, communicate some more, because when you have so many different stakeholders with sensitivities and uh, <laughs> fear of losing control or losing a, a part of their empire. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, you fine. really got this done quickly, uh, <laughs> and it's a credit to everybody on the team. The Hartford Crisis Center, one eight hundred next step. And, By the oh, way,
3: what and you, hopefully, what, it's only the first step because I think uh-huh. there's this vision. when you get the crisis center done; it solves all the problems. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. not going to happen. Right. We
0: have to tackle children's youth, yes. and there's yeah, a lot of work to be done.
3: aftercare, education. Oh my gosh,
0: I was
1: just listening to the news today, that teacher, I think in California, who was singing the Star Spangled Banner, who cut the student's hair, her sister was interviewed today, and she said she's been having outbursts like that since she was a child, and she's 52 now and has never had any mm. help. Yeah. So now she is because of what happened. So when you mentioned mm-hmm. child, yeah. you know, childhood, adolescence.
0: Yeah.
2: Fantastic. Yep. One um, eight hundred next step. The Harford Crisis Center. We have uh, Sharon Lipford and uh, Michael Clancy. Sharon is the executive director of Healthy Harford Inc. And My- uh, Michael Clancy is the director uh, of the Carroll and Harford Crisis Response Teams. What is LCPC, Michael?
3: Uh, Licensed Clinical Professional Counselor.
2: And what is LCADC?
3: <laughs> Licensed Clinical Alcohol Drug Counselor. Okay. Well, we had.
2: <laughs> We had the folks from APG on too. weeks oh, ago. Gosh, <laughs>
3: that
1: is true.
2: You ain't got nothing on them ac- <laughs> acronym-wise. <laughs> it's an acronym I, I live
3: that acronym for 20 years, so yeah. Yeah, I
1: know. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you were yeah. in the military. Yeah. That's right.
2: Okay, well, let's, we just have a, f- a few more minutes, if you don't mind sticking around and hear what another great institution in this county is up to. Leslie, what's going on at the library?
1: Oh, my goodness. a lot of stuff. Other than all. everything. <laughs> There is a lot going on. Um, one thing we're super excited about, and I'm sure you guys have heard about it, is our Laura Lippman Meet the Author event, which is next Tuesday, the 18th of December, at our Abingdon Library. It's free and open to the public. Um, it's from 6.30 to 8 p.m., and Laura's coming up, and she's going to read her new children's book, Liza Jane and the Dragon, so you can bring your kids with you. You can purchase an autographed copy of the book. We also have some of her other books. Um, For other titles, what?
2: David Simon. That's who she's married to. Oh. Who did The Wire. Uh, and oh, okay. Homicide. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Laura. Who's also about a your Baltimore boy. Um, and so she's going to read the book, do a story time with the kids, and then the kids are going to scoot mm. off to the side and do a dragon craft. And uh, she's going to have a q and book discussion about just being an author. She has a new book coming out next summer. Um, so it's going to be a really awesome event, and I hope you can join us. Um, for more information, you can go to hcplonline.org. Um, and then just a couple more things going on. Um, tonight, actually, also in our Abingdon, or today in our Abingdon Library. From 11 a.m. to noon, it's sounds of the season, so the Patterson Mill Middle School Orchestra and Chorus will be there. Um, the seventh and eighth grade students will be performing a variety of holiday pieces to get you in the spirit for the holiday. So if you don't have your holiday spirit yet, join us there. And then um, an interesting uh, event coming up at Aberdeen, it's actually through January 31st. We are doing a recipe swap holiday traditions so you can swing by drop off some of your favorite recipes pick up other recipes that uh, pique your fancy and this is all wrapped around our winter reading um, program that starts on the 21st which is eat drink and read the second course so it's for adults and high school students adults are encouraged to read five read or listen to for you commuters five books and um High school students, three books, and when you complete, uh, you can come in while supplies last and get our signature collector's mug, which Sharon and I were talking about today. Last year's mug is one the of best. <laughs> Wait till you see this year's. It's Yay. fantastic. So that's all starting next Friday, our winter oh, reading excellent. already. I tell you, we're just muscling through. Yeah. I still can't
2: believe things. that the uh, summer reading had uh, 17,000 kids yeah. reg- wow. register for yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a really popular, popular, amazing program. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of great sponsors and partners, and they make it all possible. Hartford County is amazing that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And also, it's Hartford County is amazing among its peers as far as the uh, addiction treatment and education and mm-hmm. recovery resources. So, very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Myra ended up here. She's from Frederick. Yes. She ended up here because of uh, the understanding was that Uh there was a lot of navigation, and um, it was a good window into the resources. Um, And uh, for Libby's sake, you're listening to WAMD 970 AM, Station Identification. Mm
1: -hmm. Must happen.
2: Yes. And I think uh, that's it for us. Fantastic. Thanks again, uh, folks, for what you're all
3: doing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thanks you guys for being on. Um, That's all the time we have for today, and we'll talk to you next week. Happy holidays.
3: Happy holidays. Thanks for having us.